0: The hope of our world today is the message of Jesus Christ. The hope of our world today is the preached, proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, listen to me this morning. There is good news for a lost and hurting world, and their hope, their only hope, is that they would hear the message of Jesus Christ. Be very sure of that this morning. Today, we have good news to proclaim In a world of bad news and hard things, we as followers of Jesus Christ have good news to proclaim today. In fact, let me remind you right now. There is a God, and I, I want you to listen. There is a God, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he sees you. And in his great love, he sent his only begotten son to pay the price of your redemption. Now I want you to think about that. In his great love, he sent his only begotten son, the perfect lamb of God, to pay the price of your redemption. On the cross of Calvary, he has paid your price. And in his grace, he offers to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, forgiveness, restoration, and a new star in Jesus Christ. Right now, offered to you in the grace of God is forgiveness, restoration, and a new start in Jesus Christ. It is received by faith. Friends, there is good news. God loves you. He has paid your price. He offers us salvation by faith in Jesus. Some of us need to receive that today. And I mean right now. We're not gonna have to wait to an invitation at the end of this service. Some of us need to receive that Right now. You have good news in our gracious Savior. Those that have received that, we need to be encouraged to share that, to proclaim that today. And that's that's the point of this message. Some of us here today, some of us listening in some other means, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it in faith today. The rest of us need to be encouraged to proclaim it also in faith, starting today. In our study of Acts, God is preparing us to stand as his church in the last days. Now, I can't tell you the importance of that. I can't tell you with words enough the the heaviness of that, the the vitality, the, the necessity of that. He is preparing us to stand as his church in the last days. Now, listen, if you will let him, he will prepare you. You see, you have a purpose. You serve a purpose in his plan. And if you will let him, he will prepare you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in the days right before Jesus comes. Today, we're going to see in our verses a case study. And that's really what it is, an actual case study of our mission of sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you our message today is that they've all been it is on time, it is relevant, and it is needed. I already feel sorry for anybody who's not going to hear this message today. It is needed today. It is relevant today. You want to know what God has for us today? It is this message from his word. Our message is entitled The Cost and the Culture. The cost and the culture. Today our verses are found in Acts chapter 19, a bunch of verses, verses 21 through 41. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41, the cost and the culture. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 21, God's word says this, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he passed through Macedonia in Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion and they rushed with one accord, dragging into the theater along with Gaius and Aristocus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs were also friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know what the reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of, of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis? and of the image which fell down from heaven. So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and to do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another." But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dirty Father, we come and we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for the good news of a risen Savior, our our Savior Jesus. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin, the righteousness that he gives us of his own accord. Lord, we come and we praise you for that. Lord, I I pray that in the hearing of the gospel this morning, this hour, that there will be some and maybe many that would turn to you. Lord, I pray for us as the church today. I I pray as we're hearing this, this truth, these verses, I pray that we are being instructed. I pray that we are being equipped to tell a lost and dying and hurting and suffering world of the good news that we have in our Savior. Lord, I pray again that your your word would reach our hearts and our minds today. And I pray that we'd be changed for your glory. We, We tell you we love you. We praise you and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to move through a lot of verses. We're going to read and look at these verses, this account of what has happened, and then we're going to come back and apply it to us today. And so all these verses, we're going to work through them. We're going to study them, and then we're going to come back and pull out some truths to apply to to us today. For the context, now remember what has gone on here, and it's just been a progression. Paul has been preaching now in Ephesus. He has been preaching the gospel to both Jews and Greeks. Now, really, he's been preaching to anyone and everyone. That is his pattern. That is what he's doing here. Anyone and everyone, he has been preaching the good news of Jesus. Now, not only that, he has been also encouraging the disciples. In his preaching, in his teaching, he has been building up the church. And so these two things, he has been preaching the gospel to the lost folks, and he's been encouraging and building up the church. All the while, the the verses tell us God has been doing great miraculous things through him to validate the gospel message and to validate him as his messenger. So you read of these miraculous things? They are happening to validate the message of the gospel and to validate the gospel messenger. Now, this has been going on at this point for about three years. And so this was no quick event. This was no short-term event, but this had been going on. Paul had been doing this now for about three years. Well, today in our verses, we see what happens as a result. We see some of the result of, of what Paul has been doing. Now, I want to I go back to verse 20, and I want to start there. Verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now we see there, that's the mission of the church. We see that as the goal of the church. We see that as what the church is commanded to do. And we see that as the fruit of what Paul has been preaching. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now That leads us to where we're at today, starting in verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, as he concludes his ministry in Ephesus, Paul is making further plans. This is not the end of his ministry. He is concluding it there in this area, in this region, But after that, he is making further plans. Ultimately, if you read the progression there, he wants to go to the influential capital city of Rome. He's going to make three stops before he goes there through those regions as well. But his ultimate goal is to end in Rome, the influential capital city. Verse 22. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Verse 22 says that he sends these two that have been ministering to him, serving with him, Timothy and Erastus, he has sent them on to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Verse 22 says that he decides to stay on in this region for a little while longer. Okay, here's where it happens. This is what we're gonna look at Today, the word of the Lord is growing and prevailing. Then this happens. Verse 23. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. The way was a name given to the movement of Christ. It was called the way. Probably it was tied to Jesus when he said, I am the way and the truth in John chapter 14. And so it is called the way. Verse 23 says a disturbance occurred. Now it says that it was not a small disturbance. Now it's making the point that it was a large disturbance. I went and looked. The Greek word for disturbance is a commotion. It is disorder. It is trouble. And so there is a great commotion. There is a great disorder, a great disturbance that is going on. Now here's the disturbance, verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Verse 24, this man Demetrius, he was a silversmith and he makes shrines of Artemis. Artemis was a goddess from a popular cult. She was worshiped all over the Roman Empire. It had spread all over the Roman Empire. But the home of the worship of Artemis was in the city of Ephesus. The main temple of Artemis was in the city of Ephesus. Well, this man, he makes a shrine, it's really a small statue, a silver shrine that you could take with you to worship Artemis anywhere. I guess it was like an early truck stop and you could get some things for the ride to take in the car. You go to Ephesus, you go there to worship. While you're there, this man is there. He's made a silver shrine. You could buy that shrine and then you could worship wherever you came from. You could take it with you and worship Anywhere. Well, evidently he was quite the businessman and he subcontracted other craftsmen to make them as well. And so he could sell more than he could make. And so he enlisted a whole bunch of other people and it became an industry there in this city. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Verse 25. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. They made their living from this, this one thing. The, the Bible uses the word, they are prospering, they are doing well from this one business. Now, here's their problem, verse 26. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of the Asia, praise the Lord, Paul, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that God's made with hands are no gods at all. Paul is preaching the truth of Jesus. He is pointing out the emptiness of Worshiping a man-made God, he is showing them how silly it is to worship what was made by men when we worship the creator God himself. Well, Demetrius goes on, verse 27. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis Armit, be regarded as worthless, uh, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Now, in verse 27, he says, now people will not only need us, people will not only look down on our trade, but they will not need our shrine. Now, more than that, he says they're not going to worship in the temple. It's going to lose its value." And he tries to be pious here and say, now not only that, but they're going to turn their back on the goddess altogether. And he tries to act like he has a noble cause. I I was going over these notes this morning and I thought of this, this, this truth, this thought. A true God doesn't need defending. He needs proclaiming. And so this guy comes along and says, they'll have no value for, for Artemis. They'll have no they'll value for this temple. They'll have no value. And he has to defend the God. A true God doesn't need defending, just proclaiming. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. And they began crying out, saying, "Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. When they heard this, <coughs> they were filled with rage. They begin crying out saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. These craftsmen, these making their living from this false shrine, it says they are enraged. Now, I want you to understand the depth of that word. It doesn't mean they're upset. It doesn't mean they're agitated. It literally means they are boiling over with anger. They, They are enraged. And so they start shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now I want you to notice something here. I've noticed this in life. Maybe you have as well. Notice this. Nothing enrages people like being exposed. You ever notice that? Nothing enrages people like being exposed. Let me go further than that. And being enraged is usually expressed in getting loud. You ever notice that? You expose somebody, some truth comes to light, and their only response is to get mad. And then their their response in getting mad and being being enraged is to get loud. And here's what I've learned to notice. It is the loudest, maddest voice that you have to watch. And that's what I figured out. You find somebody and they're the maddest and they're the loudest voice. They're the one you have to watch. And if you want to know who's usually in the right, notice the one that's not saying much or not saying anything. You know what? They're confident they're in the right. They know what's happened. And you find somebody and they can't be quiet and they have to get loud and they have to get angry. You need to watch that person. But you find somebody and they're silent That person's usually in the right. Well, here they have been exposed. They explode in rage and they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29. The city was filled with confusion and they rushed with one accord, a a mass into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Now in verse 29, here's what happens. A literal... Riot breaks out. A a true riot, by definition, they move in mass, a riot breaks out. The mob grabs up two of the companions of Paul and drags them to the theater. The Bible says the city is in an uproar. Now, I want you to imagine the danger. We read that and we think, well, we're so far removed from it. It wasn't that big of a deal. I want you to imagine the danger here. They have these two guys caught. They're talking about these that are preaching the truth of the way and these people are against our way of life. These people are against our way of life. They are against our goddess. They're blaspheming our goddess. These people are against our city. This is what our city's known for. They're not for our city. These folks are costing us jobs and they're costing us money. Do you know how dangerous that is? And they are enraged. How dare him speak against our city? How dare him speak against our religion? How dare him cost us money? Verse 30. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, Paul's kind of crazy. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Now, Paul was not with them when they grabbed him up. He wanted to go into the assembly. He would explain this. No doubt, he would preach to them. What an opportunity. Verse 31. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. Verse 31, we see he is set to go. They had to convince him not to go repeatedly they're having to say to him, do not go, it is not safe. Now I want you to watch this. See what happens in verse 32. So then some, listen to this. So then some were shouting one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know what reason they had come together. Some are shouting one thing, the Bible says. Some are shouting something else. I don't have any clue what they could be shouting. And here's what it says. And most of the folks there did not know while they were there. That's what the Bible says. Did you see that? They're there, (laughs) there. and they're mad, and they're all stirred up, and they're shouting something over here, and they're shouting something over there, and they get in that crowd, and they get mad, and they don't know, and they start shouting, and they have no idea why they're even there. You ever notice how crowds work? (laughs) You ever notice that? People get all worked up. They get all wound up. And somebody said something, and I think I just caught a shade of what they said, but I'm not sure what they said, but somebody said they might have said this, and they start to say, well, I'll, I'll say something back, and they said something back as if they didn't know what they said, what they said, what they said, but now they said something back, and you saw them, and they said something back, and so I say something back. People are all stirred up. They're all stirred up, and they're in arms, and they're all angry, and most of them don't even know why they're there. Good grief, that sounds like our day. <laughs> I think sometimes we think, ah, will just get mad. This is a good time to get mad. It's t- I'm going to get mad. Verse 33. Some of the con- cl- crowd concluded it was Alexander. Since the Jews had put him forward and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. A, a Jewish man... Alexander's there. Uh, they think he's going to say something He decides I'll, I'll calm him down. He's going to explain what's happening here. He waves his hand to the crowd, verse 34. But they recognize, when they recognize he was a Jew, a single outcry, It's a mob from them, all from them all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, here's the deal in verse 34. They don't care that he's not a believer. He's a Jew. They don't care that he's not a member of the way. He's not a member of the way. He's just not part of their cult. And so this Jewish guy says, you know what, I'll calm them down. They see, you know what, they don't care. He's not a member of the way. They're just mad he's not part of their cult. And so they cut him off, and here they go. They start to shout again, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The Bible says they do that for two hours. Listen, this is a big deal. For two hours, there is a mob and they are in a frenzy for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Here's the resolution, verse 35. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven. Now, it's interesting. It is reported that Ephesus became the hub of Artemis's worship because a meteor, sometime in the past, and it may have been way back there, and it may have just traveled forward in tradition, but sometime a meteor had fallen next to this city, and they took that as a sign. And so that's what he's saying there. This guy says, everyone knows that Ephesus is the hub of this worship. Everyone knows that it's the home of the temple. Listen, nobody's debating that. Everyone knows it's the center of Artemis's worship. Verse 36. So since these are undeniable facts, this is a pretty wise person, You ought to keep calm and and do nothing rash. Verse 36, relax. Verse 37, for you have brought these men here, these two they drug up, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. Verse 38, so then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, The courts are in session and pro-counsels are available. Let them bring charges against one another. He says, calm down. If there is a true issue here, they can go to court. The courts are open. The lawyers are available. If there's a true issue, calm down. They can take it to court. Verse 39. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly, not in a riot. Verse 40, for indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we'll be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 40. In verse 40, they are in fear of the Roman government. They were down in Jerusalem, they are all the way here. They are in fear of the Roman government. This guy says, hey, we need to be peaceful. We do not need Rome sending an army here because of an uprising. We don't need them to hear there's a riot down there and they can't take care of their business. And so we need to be peaceful that we do not stir up the Roman government. Verse 41. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Verse 41, they have heard from the wise, calm clerk of the city this plea and it makes sense to them, and the situation is diffused, and the Bible says they dispersed. They they went back where they came from. That brings us to today. What do we see? What do we learn from this account? As we are existing as followers of Christ in the days before Jesus comes, at this important time, at this vital time, as we're existing as the church, What do we see? What do we learn from this account? Now, first, let me bring out three truths exactly from this account. I'm going to lift these truths exactly out of the account, and then I'm going to find two ways to apply it. The first thing we see is this the spread of the gospel upset the culture. The spread of the gospel upset the culture. The relentless preaching of Paul and these other guys, these other folks, the going out of the truth of Jesus, as it was received, started to change the culture. Now, what, what, what I'm talking about is, is the relentless preaching for three years of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it is heard and as it is received, it begins to make a difference In the culture, it actually begins to change the culture. And in doing so, it upset the culture. And I'll just tell you, that's what this whole thing's all about. The growth of the church, the changed lives of believers, was so profound, listen to me, that the culture did not just notice the culture was being changed. That's a huge thing. And I want you to think about that for just a second. The growth of the church, the impact of the preaching of the gospel, the lives that were being changed, the the impact of that was so profound that the culture didn't just say, hey, there's something going on down there. The culture actually began to change. Second truth, the change in the mindset of the culture, this is from our account, changed the economy. Do you know that's possible? That's what happens here. The change in the thinking, the mindset of the believers now living in the culture, the change in the culture changed the economy. Now, here's the deal, and I'll just tell you, it holds true today. People spend money on what they value. You understand that? People spend money on what they value. Sometimes people say, well, we ought not have all these things in these neighborhoods. Well, we ought not have these things. These things ought not be sold. Well, here's the the matter of fact. Here's the truth. People spend their money on what they want. People spend their money on the things they value. Well, the changed mindset, the changed culture, actually changed the economy. Here's the third truth lifted out of our story today, and that is this. The change was costly. The change was costly. Now, it was costly for those resistant To the change, they were losing their business. It was costly for those resistant to the change. It was costly to the agents of the change. We're going to see that. And and those that preach the gospel, it was costly to them as well. Now, what does that mean to us? Today, in these last days, listen very carefully. We have this mission to preach Jesus. And it is the hope of the lost world. Now, I want you to not be, to, to not misunderstand this. It is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's going to bear eternal fruit. We have this mission to preach Jesus. We are, you and I, are called to do it. Now, we're sitting there. You may be saying, you know what? I'm glad somebody else has that mission. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the call to do this. And so what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? 2022, the the climate that we exist in, the age that we exist in, what does this mean to us? Two things. First thing is this listen very carefully. The church preaching the gospel is to change the culture, and the culture is not to change the church. Now listen to that again. That's a big deal. I want you to hear that. The church preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is to change the culture and the culture's not to change the church. I want to tell you right now, too many times, we've got churches that are compromising. We've got churches that are giving in, and we've got churches and they are working overtime trying to match the culture. They're trying to do what the culture does. They're trying to offer what the culture offers. They're actually competing with the culture. You have this music, we'll have better music. You have a light show, oh, watch our light show. We're actually competing with the culture. Sadly, churches today are working overtime to blend into the culture that we exist in. They work for the approval of the culture. They want to appease and be accepted by the culture of the world that we live in today. Friends, I want you to hear this. We have to be ready today to stand and to say, this is the truth, and we are shaped by it. This is the truth and we are led by it. What if a committee comes? What if the experts come? What if there's a a big government powwow and they say, we have to do this? Listen, this is the word of God, this is the truth. We are led by it, we are committed to it. We are not shaped by the world, we preach the word to that world. That is our call in these last days. We have to make that distinction. I'm going to tell you something. I'm probably going to lose some more friends. (laughs) True story. I couldn't help it. I'm going to tell you. This week, I saw a church advertise their meal, their fellowship meal. They call it their mission meal. And in their advertisement, they said, you can come and you won't have to, direct quote, sit through a sermon. That's what you said. We'll have to sit through a sermon. Oh, you will have to endure some religious rhetoric preached to you in a sermon. That's what it said. That's what the ad said. That they were doing is saying, come to our meal, come to our meal. We won't tell you anything religious. Come to our meal. That was upsetting to me. And I want you to be sure. Satan doesn't care what you eat. and He doesn't care where you eat, he's all for it. And he doesn't care about a mission meal that's full of people, he is all for it. He doesn't care about that, he's for it. As long as what they're eating is not the bread of life. I'm gonna tell you something today. You can eat at home. Or you can eat at the DQ or you can eat at Chili's. You can eat at first Cafeteria, you can eat at Alsips. I've done that. You can eat at Olive Garden. You can eat at Diller, at Denny's. You can eat the Taco Casa, the Taco Bell, the Taco Tico. You can go to all those and get you a taco. You can go to the Sizzler, you can go to the Western Sizzler, you can go to the Coffee Shop Cafe. But I want you to hear me today, brother or sister, when the church gets in the food service business, it better be because we are proclaiming and preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, we may have a great meal, and I think we do, but you make no mistake, brother or sister, it is always the gospel of Jesus Christ that's on the menu. We need to quit trying to compete with the culture. We need to quit trying to appease the sorry culture. And we need to preach the gospel that changes the culture because it changes the hearts of the individuals that make up the culture. Here's my my advice to you. Be ready. It's going to be hard. It's hard already. It's not accepted. They're already saying they will have to hear a sermon. Be ready. It's hard. It's not accepted. Second part I want to bring... Out of this is this, and that is the second truth today, and that is this, change is still costly. Change is still costly. And I want to tell you, the cost is high. Paul gave his life to preach the gospel that brings change. The cost is high. Today, listen, friend, today God is preparing you. I think that's the part we've got to understand these days. We can't get by with saying, well, somebody back there, somebody up there, a preacher up there. God is preparing you. And God knows where you're at and he has a plan for you where you're at. And if you'll let him listen, he'll use you in these last days. Can you think of anything better, anything more important? To say, you know what? I pointed somebody to Christ right before Jesus came back. But here's the deal, the cost is still high and it's getting higher. We have to be ready. God's looking for people that'll pay the cost. He will use those people. Here's the question today. Are we ready? Are we willing? This isn't just a sermon to check off. This isn't just a sermon to say, man, I went to it and now I got the rest of the day, the week to go back to. Are you willing and ready to pay the price to tell a lost world of the only hope we have in Jesus? The cost is still high. Let's pray. During Father, we come and we, we praise you today. We thank you today, Lord. We, we worship you today. We're thankful for good news. Oh, the good news. We're thankful for your grace shown to us. We're thankful you didn't write us off. You still don't. You don't cast us away. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful that the sin, the sorry sin that we rebelled against you and that you give us your righteousness to wear like a robe to cover over the shame of that sin. Lord, I'm so thankful we praise you in that. Lord, I I pray that we would take serious that there's a world that as as time runs out, doesn't know you, doesn't have that hope, doesn't have that peace. Lord, I pray we would walk out of here not beat down, not browbeat, not ready to squeeze back into the things of the culture. We would walk out of here with our heads held high, proclaiming the good news, of a gracious Savior named Jesus. Lord, I pray for somebody that doesn't know you. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're listening by some other means. I pray, Lord, that they've heard. I pray that it resonates. I pray that any hindrance is removed. Lord Jesus, I pray in great glory to your name that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we we ask for a movement of God in that way. Well, we come and we just end this service, we end this time by just saying we love you. We praise you. Help us be faithful to your cause. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude with a time of response, a time of invitation. And it truly is the most important thing we do is to to offer a chance to respond to the truth of God's word. Listen today, there is good news. There is good news. It's why Paul was going to all these places. It's why he wanted to go to the most influential city. There is good news. The world needs good news. The good news is this, we have a Savior in Jesus. The good news is this, if you'll turn and call to him, turning away from your sins, sorry for your sins, if you'll turn to repentance, claiming him as Savior, he'll save you today. Listen to me, he will save you today. Forgiven, restored, renewed, made right with God. He'll save you today, that's good news. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. If you need more information, find somebody, find me. Let's settle this today. We have good news. If you're here and you've trusted Christ but never fallen believers' baptism, you come. It'll be a great day of celebration. We'll set a date, and in testimony of Christ, we'll celebrate your baptism. Not as part of salvation, but in celebration of the the salvation we have in our Savior Jesus. You come. Let's take care of that. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come together. We'll serve His cause and His for his name and for his glory. Maybe you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. We're not in any hurry to get anywhere. Pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, as we stand and sing, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.